0: Yeah. Hey, everybody! Good afternoon. Can everybody in the back hear me okay? Hear me okay? Hear me okay? Can you hear me? Okay. Hey, a couple quick things. We're going to get started in just a minute. There's still a few people who are making their way across, um, but part of today's experience will uh, mean some interaction around the table. So you want to make sure that you have at least four people around the table. At least four people around the table. So if you, uh, because we are four square, and so if you really, you know, this is an identity check. Um, so if you don't, if you have three, and, and you feel like you just couldn't get any better, then three's okay. But if you have two, then it'd be great if you could add a couple more people. And if you don't, because you just don't like people, then that's okay, you're in the, you're in the right workshop, we're gonna fix that by the time, <laughs> We're done today. All right. We're going to get started in just one minute. By the way, we do have snacks to give away. Anybody hungry? Okay. Snacks will be given away for participation, um, loud noises, bribery, um, anything along those lines. So it's going to be good. First of all, we just want to recognize... The godly people who wanted to s- sat in the front, and so we're just gonna we're gonna give away a little bit of snacks to people that, that follow Jesus closely and sit in the front, and um, and then this guy looks like a target. Whoa, oh, so close. Okay, talk to Josh Best about the injury lawsuit. <clears throat> awesome. Okay. Come on in. Tables of at least three people. It would be great if there could be three or four people at a table if you're up for that. We're just about to get started. While you are being seated, one other thing I wanted to mention is we did uh, post our notes. So if you would like to follow along or if you would like to follow along, um, with our notes, then you can download those right now. If you go to johncobler.com, that's the speaker name, J-O-N-C-O-B-L-E-R, one of the speakers, .com. Um, the very top is a link to something about connection, and that will take you to the notes. Uh, by the way, we're going to refer to that a number of times. There is both a an opportunity to sign up for a follow-up webinar with one of the authors that we're referencing. Uh, There's a couple of YouTube videos from the last LPU leadership forum that have some incredible content related to what we're talking about. And there is a link to a library of resources that uh, we will be referring to today. Do you have a question? Um, That may be for the Wi-Fi. Does it say access code? Okay. So it may, maybe turn off your Wi-Fi and go through, if you get, do you get signal in here? Okay. Some people do, some people don't. Okay. Yeah, it's the speaker name, so dot com. J O N. Yeah, no J-O-N. H. No H. No, my parents were conservationists, so we saved that letter. Actually, I'm a Jonathan, like the Bible. All right. How are we looking?
1: So say it again, babe. It's J O N C O B L E R.com. Got it? And it's the first button that you can press. You get a
0: bag of Reese's. There you go. Just because you got it. All right, go ahead and Help help each other around the table, and um, we're about to get going. joncoble uh, by the way, if you can get there at the bottom of that uh, link, uh, after you get to Johncolby.com, there's also at the bottom is my contact information. So if you want to follow up in the future, feel free to give me a call or send me an email, and we'd love to continue the conversation. So with that, I think we're going to get started. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Who's full of joy? <laughs> Bunch of liars. Bunch of liars. You are not living in the same world that I'm living in. Oh, what a couple of years it's been. I have uh, one of my staff members just resigned, and he was, a, uh, he was a, in policing for over 30 years. He was a chief of police for over 15 years. The last three years of his career... He was in our city where he was dealing with a situation involving a white officer that shot a black young person. Um, it was incredibly tumultuous number of years in our city. He navigated that and then uh, felt the call and made the transition into full-time ministry, vocational ministry. And when he uh, talked to me about his reasons... Mo- and, for for transitioning out after two and a half years, he said the last year and a half have been harder than anything I ever did in policing. And I felt so validated (laughs) and sad and so many other emotions. And so if you felt like the last couple years have been hard, it's not just you. And today we are not bringing to you a five-step program, a 10-step program, a six-week program, a four-level program. There's no graduation certificate. But we wanna share with you some of the things that have been reshaping how we are thinking about discipleship and transformation. And when what I think and what I was sharing with somebody earlier is what's exciting to share, the reason I feel excited to share this maybe more than any other thing or workshop that i've been able to do is because the byproduct of what we're going to talk about is not just that we're seeing change and transformation happen in different ways than we ever have we're we're enjoying ministry more than we ever have and in october of last year i wrote my resignation letter i was done glory to God, my wife said, honey, I would really like it if you didn't share that with anybody until we have a few more conversations. And through that process, the Lord really opened our eyes to some deep things in me that he wanted to heal and restore, but also how he had been preparing us for the last three or four years to to live and minister from a different place. And so right off the bat, you, you won't walk away with a three-step program or a curriculum to take home to your church. Uh, but I do believe that there are some really deep things that will hopefully spark an interest and a desire and a hopefulness about what could be in you and in us and in our churches. And some of you are going to look and say, man, a lot of this we're already doing, but we didn't have language for some of you are going to say, yeah, we, this, is, this is what we do. I'm really disappointed. Don't worry. We are used to being disappointing. <laughs> <clears throat> and some of you are going to say, light bulb moment, this is the other half of the story that I haven't known how to tap into. So Father, we come to you with uh, humble hearts. Humble hearts. We've got things to say, but we really don't care about what we want to say. We really want to say what you want to say. And help us to hear what you want us to hear. Whether you open our eyes to big picture things that will shift the paradigm in our our churches or even our businesses, or whether you just speak into our hearts as a daughter or a son, nothing matters more than to know that you are with us to hear what you want to say to us. So here we are, listening, speak, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. My name's John. This is Fawn. We get to pastor in Olympia, Washington. And our greatest ministry achievement is that a week ago yesterday, we became grandparents for the first time. Who's excited about grandparenting? Okay. Really, really glad to be here. Okay. Pray for a girl? You you got, got a basketball team. I like it, though. I like it. Yeah. Oh, I love it.
1: Okay, but real quick before I dive into the notes, um, I just wanted to add on to what you were talking about at the beginning. One of the reasons I would say I love talking about what we're talking about today is um, we're not actually just talking about, hey, these are some things that we see are impacting our staff and our church. The things that we're going to talk about today are, are changing us personally. We are personally being transformed. We are being discipled and in a discipleship process with the Lord and with friends and with leaders. And, and we are also implementing these things with our staff and our church. So I'm excited because this is something that is changing us and impacting us. And I, I pray it does the same for you. So let's, uh, so let's talk about discipleship, joy fueled discipleship. I know I do not have to try to convince you that after the last couple years of the trauma and the fractured relationships, that the church as a whole more than ever needs the kind of discipleship that will actually speak to the whole person, right? Not just their head, not just their heart, but the whole person. So here, I want to pose a couple of questions, no need to answer, but just think about your responses to these. Have you ever thought ministry would be awesome if it weren't for the people? (laughs) Have you ever wondered why some people seem to to just get it and others don't? Some people's lives are changing and then other people are listening to the same teachings and nothing's happening. Have you ever wondered why so many of your small groups or life groups last no more than two years or so? They're great, and then they fizzle out. Have you ever questioned if the way that you personally were discipled actually changed your heart or just taught you how to behave like you love God? Have you ever wondered why some of the most educated people in your church act so immaturely? Yeah. We could do a whole talk about that one. Have you ever been frustrated because you personally have certain buttons get, that get pressed or triggered and you turn into somebody that you don't even recognize? So if you answered yes to any of those things, I just want to say you are in good company. Yeah. I think everybody in the room would say yes to probably multiple of those things. We would as well. And, and I just say that because I want you to know that we don't stand up here in any way believing that we are the experts in what we are talking about today. We are in process in the same way that you are. Our church and our leaders are in process in the same way that your church and your leaders are in a process. And it was so, you know, interesting because it was before COVID. It was probably about three, three and a half years ago that we started asking the question, okay, is the way that we're discipling people actually producing the fruit that we want it to do too? Do we just think it is because lots of people come to the class and lots of people show up at this, you know, retreat that we put on. And so we, people's lives are changing, but are they really changing? Are we really actually discipling people to where their heart is different and their life is different? And then COVID happened and we got our answer. The answer was, well, sometimes what you do is working and sometimes it's not. And so we've been in this real process trying to figure out, so what do we do with that? And in that process, we've started learning. We've been reading books. We've been growing. And, uh, and so just know we are not experts. We are in it with you. We are on a journey. And we invite you to go on a journey with us. Well said. Ta-da, your turn.
0: Let me lay uh, some groundwork and see if this resonates with you. A lot of the way I was discipled and probably most of us at some point have thought about discipleship is that the ingredients for transformation are right information plus willpower. Right information plus willpower equals transformation. And if you think about how much of our discipleship revolves around educating and holding accountable, those all have to do with having the right information and enough willpower. And if you really love God, you'll get answers from the Bible and you will do it even if you don't want to. Now, we're not saying that those two ingredients aren't a part of discipleship. But what we are learning and understanding is that what is more powerful to transform you is identity plus belonging. Identity, and identity is more than information. It's identity plus belonging equals transformation. That's why classes are great, and it's a wonderful experience around the table but it's so often what happens beyond it's who are you with who are your people outside the classroom those will be the people that shape your life more than anybody else and what we're learning from and we're going to talk about some neuroscience and brain stuff and and we're not you know i couldn't find my brain if i looked for it <laughs> but we're going to we're going to relay some of the things that we're learning and there is in some incredible deep dives the youtube videos that we shared and in the resources that we're sharing so we'll reference that without any attempt to try and go deep into neuroscience uh... although that would be entertaining for you to watch us try um, but but it's there and it's compelling and part of that is that that part of your brain that fires that stores your identity and sense of who we are is Primarily happening in your right brain. And your right brain is fueled by joy. And what they can determine now, they can see it. The way that the right half of your brain lights up when you experience joy. But before we look at some of what, what that means, um, you'll find that joy is all throughout the scripture. There's a My brother is a dyed-in-the-wool Presbyterian. I love our Presbyterian friends. And my brother uh, loves God, but I would say that his kind of stream that he's a part of, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's the Trinity. And so I invited him to go with Israel on one of our trips, and he said, Well, I'd really like to, but I'm not sure about being with 30 or 40 Pentecostals for 10 days. (laughs) He said, I... That, he was sincere. He said, I don't know if, that, if I can handle that. And I said, don't, you know, we're pretty dysfunctional, Pentecostals, so you'll probably enjoy your time with us. So he came with us and, and experienced the 10 days, went home, and he called me about three or four days, a week or two later, and he said, he said you're not going to believe this. He said, actually, you probably will believe this. He said, I'm reading the Bible like I've always read it. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere. <laughs> and I didn't notice. When you start understanding the power of joy, you're going to read the scripture and you're going to see that joy is everywhere. In our notes, there's a list of just a handful of the 60 different times when joy is used in the Old uh, in the New Testament, I'm sorry. And it's a key ingredient of hope. It's, in the, it's an essence of the kingdom of God. When When Jesus is with his disciples before he's betrayed and crucified, he talks about abiding and the promise of the Spirit. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is not something you add on to your walk with Jesus. This is fundamental to what fuels our relationship with God and with people. Um, do you want me to just jump in here?
1: Yeah, and I'll just, just real quick, I'll say, uh, there is. we did put in the notes a handful of some of those joy scriptures. And just in case somebody came in late, John, J-O-N, Cobler, C-O-B-L-E-R is where you can go and click to find the notes. So, just in case.
0: So, once we start seeing how important joy is to keeping your relational engine on, which is fundamental for developing identity and belonging, um, then understanding how to increase our joy levels becomes critically important. Chris Corsi is one of the authors that we're referring to. He wrote a book called The Joy Switch*, And listen to his definition of joy. Joy is the fuel to run the brain's relational engine. Joy is glad-to-be-togetherness, where we light up to see others and they light up to see us. We are the sparkle in someone's eyes. The nonverbal dance of smiles, make us feel seen and special. This exchange is more of a reflex than a choice or decision of the will. Joy is the relational transaction and exchanged with shared glances, smiles, body movements and voice tones to convey, I'm really glad to see you. The presence of joy is the turbo booster while the absence of joy leaves us on fumes. The relational circuits break down when joy runs low. And remember, identity plus belonging is fundamental to transformation. This is what's happening in the right hemisphere of our brain. And joy is what keeps that activated and engaged and resilient and alive. So we sputter with little ability to reach our goals and recover when we run low on joy.
1: Okay, so to kind of take that really long paragraph, that really long uh, definition of what joy is and just make it bite-sized, joy is what we experience when we're happy to be together. Joy is that, that thing that we experience when we look each other in the eye and you feel that I'm happy to see you. You believe you are the sparkle in my eye. That's the joy definition that we are working from. That's the joy that opens up that relational part of our brain that is necessary for discipleship. Listen, I'm telling you, you with this definition of joy, you're going to begin to see this in Scripture. Think, think about the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm telling you, you're going to begin to see this everywhere. So we're going to do something that might be a little uncomfortable You are going to, in just a second, turn to somebody next to you. You're going to put a big smile, not just on your face, but in your eyes. And you're going to look the person in the eye and tell them, I am really happy to be here with you. All right, go for it.
0: Man, you are really good at this, way to go. In fact, you got it. I don't even think you need to be here. You're good, you're good, just take it. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed?
1: There's a lot of joy in here.
0: Have you ever noticed?
1: Who wants a snack?
0: (laughs) Oh, watch out. Everybody's fine. Nothing like a little emergency. Uh, you know what I love, though? We, we've done this lots of times. We, we, we're doing this. Anytime we get together as a church and we have an opportunity to sit around tables, we do these kinds of things. And it's amazing what happens. It is so hard when somebody, when somebody looks at you and they, you can really tell that they're glad to see you. It's amazing how it elicits a response that you don't have to think about. And, there's, and what we know is there's actually good chemicals that are being released in your brain when that happens. So wouldn't it be cool to have a community of people who were addicted to joy?
1: Yeah. So let's talk about how our brains are designed by God to work in relationship to discipleship, in relationship to how we grow, how our character is formed. So when you think about what happens on the left side of your brain, the left side of your brain is where conscious thought happens, speech, strategies, problem-solving, logic, storytelling. That is where most church discipleship hangs out. We teach people things. We teach them to memorize things. We teach them to implement things. That, that's all left side, left brain sort of activity. The right brain is where we have individual identity, group identity, emotional attunement to other people. The assessment of our surroundings, so when you're, you experience something and your brain in less than a second decides if something is good or bad or scary, that's all right here on your right brain. And all relational attachments is right brain. So I want to read this quote uh, from the other half of church, another great book that uh, utilizes these concepts. So with this in mind, understanding what's happening on the left side, what is happening on the right side, our right brain governs the whole range of relational life, who we love, our emotional reactions to our surroundings, our ability to calm ourselves, and our identity, both as individuals and as a community. The right side manages our strongest relational connections to people, and to God. Think, just think about that for a second. If we learn to stay in that space of, I'm happy to be with God and he's happy to be with me, how that will affect our relationships and our interactions with people. Right? That joy place of he's happy to see me and I'm happy to see him. Man, Pentecostals have like a step ahead with the work of the Holy Spirit in that regard because we already believe that he's here with us. We just got to get that in our, the way we function. So, so our right side also deals with our experience of emotional connectedness to others and character formation. Don't miss this. Character formation, which is a primary responsibility of the church— is governed by the right brain, not the left. If we want to grow and transform our character into the character of Jesus, we must involve activities that stimulate and develop the right brain. So how else do we say this? Left brain discipleship is like what John was describing that a lot of us grew up in, right? Left brain discipleship would say, we get the right information, we think correctly, with the right behavior. And then we will be transformed people. But think about this. Like any parents in the room, have you ever sat down with maybe two of your kids who are fighting? And you say to them, okay, you should feel sorry for what you just did. So now apologize and mean it. And, you know, and they're like, I'm sorry. I forgive you, you know. And, and listen, we, we can tell them what the right thing is. They can even do it, but as parents, we actually want to shape hearts, not just behavior, right? And I, I think about as I'm watching, you know, a generation of young adults who grew up in the church being discipled, really a lot of the ways that we were discipled, um, walking away from the church, and I and I see that in a lot of cases they for a long time behaved correctly. But I don't know if we actually help to shape their loves and their hearts. That's what we've got to learn how to tap into. So right brain discipleship according to Jesus, okay, not according to John and Fawn. Right brain discipleship, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Our brains are designed to change us through love. Relational joy. Anybody know who Bob Goff is? Okay not just reading his books, but have you ever seen him or watched a video of him talking or even just listened to a podcast? You don't even have to see his face, but just listen to him. His voice sounds like he's smiling. Every time I've ever seen him talk, he is one of the most joyful people that I've ever known exists. And I don't think it's a mistake. His whole MO is about being connected to the Father so that he can be connected to people. He's all about being in the moment with the Father and the joy of that and then finding that with the people who are right in front of him. And the joy that is coming out of his life, I don't think is just a fluke. So, but I do want to make this clear. We are not... We are absolutely not making a case that we need to only do right-brained discipleship and the left brain stuff doesn't work. What we are advocating for is whole brain discipleship. We need both and. Not one or the other, both and. And I think
0: acknowledging that most of our churches are pretty wired and set up to do the left brain side of things pretty well, um, and you can, uh, you can do, you can read books, and there's there's been no time in history where it's been easier to access the information, great information, and we're all for that. We we need that. You you ultimately, it's the truth that will set you free. So if you're not if you're not learning the truth, how can you confront the lies? But what we're talking about is the difference. Anybody who's watched the story of somebody who can who stood on a platform and preached to God's love and God's word and God's truth. And then you find out that they've been living a double life. And you realize they probably didn't set out for that to be the reality of who they are. But it wasn't the lack of right information that allowed that to happen. It was that uh, a lot of things. But ultimately, deep down inside, they're... Their desires didn't match their head knowledge. And so thinking whole-brained is about not just shaping people's desires. Now, obviously, if we have kids and they keep putting their finger near the light socket, we say don't do that, and we want them to exercise their willpower not to do that whether or not they want to. Right. Right? That's a part of discipleship but ultimately I want them to understand that they matter, they're valuable, there's a reason for them to exercise their own power to protect themselves and then to want to not be hurt. That's a much more, because then they won't just not put their finger in the light socket when I'm watching over their shoulder. Now they own it. So what what Fawn said is really important, this is not about one or the other it's about we have observed and we can say in our lives we've done great at classes we've done great at information but there's another side that we haven't known or had the tools to develop nearly as well in people's lives this is what we're finding is helpful to do that
1: and I'll just say real quick I you know just left brain discipleship is easier to systematize it's easier to get more people through it right brain discipleship is messy and requires relationship right, right? you can you can measure left brain discipleship Absolutely. right brain discipleship kind of takes a while even to see the fruit that's coming so so I understand the like ah but but this one is easier. I can do this. I know how to do this. So I get that.
0: There's attention. Yeah. It works great when it's highly relational, right? It's much harder from a distance. But that may be what transformational discipleship requires.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So how do we turn on this relational side of our brain? It's, it's by building joy. Um, Chris Corsi, uh, same book, Joy Switch, writes this. Once our relational circuit is up and running, we regain our ability, listen to these characteristics, when your right brain is firing, we regain our ability to be self-aware, flexible, compassionate, understanding, and relational. Have you ever found yourself triggered with big emotions and all of a sudden you're not acting like yourself? You can't be flexible anymore. It's this is it. This is the only narrative. This is the only story I can see. This is the only outcome that I want. Maybe it's just me. We, we lose compassion. All of a sudden, somebody that we've loved for 20 or 25 years becomes an enemy.
1: And I mean, that can, that can happen in a split second. And here are a couple signs when you know you've gone into that mode, when your right brain has turned off, is, is suddenly you don't want to make eye contact. Uh, you have the feeling of, I just want to get out of here as fast as possible. Or you feel defensive and you feel like you've got to defend yourself and stand up for yourself or protect yourself. <laughs> and that happens really quick.
0: Anybody felt that way
1: in the last two years? Oh, man. And listen, that, I don't, we don't say that. That's not a condemnation. That happens to all that's of us. That's a confession. Us, but it's learning. So when, I, when that happens, how do I learn to, to turn that back on so that I can stay in that space of relational joy with the Lord and then reactivate that with whoever it is that's right in front of me? Yeah.
0: And again, we're not saying left brain is bad, right brain is no. good. We're saying whole brain. Yep. Whole brain is really important. So this state of being, at this point, we are at the ideal state for joy and peace when we are self-aware, flexible, compassionate, understanding, and relational. This state of being, our best, is known as acting like ourselves. We act like ourselves when when we say and do the things that align with our identity. Let me say that again. We act like ourselves when we say and do the things that align with our identity. We reflect who we are meant to be, and we are simply a more creative, relational, likable version of ourselves. Some would even say that we have high emotional intelligence. There's so many examples that come to my mind about the, the, the things that we want to see happen in people's lives. We want people to be free of addiction, but do we want people to be free of addiction because they're afraid of the consequences of what happens if they fall into it again? or because they're afraid of getting arrested or because they're afraid of losing control? Or do we wanna see people free from addiction because they've understood who they are created to be in the image of God and they want to be who God has created them to be because God loves them so very much? Do we all want that? And yet it takes more than just telling them that's truth for that to be changed in their lives. So I have a question for you, and we're going to go about another, we're going to try to wrap up in about seven or eight minutes. The workshop is supposed to be done at 1245. We got started 15 minutes late, and we would like to have a couple of minutes for Q&A if, or uh, Q&R, question and response, (laughs) no answers promised. Uh, at the end. So we're going to fire through this um, pretty quickly, but I'd like you to take two or three minutes at your table, which means only one or two people will probably get to share it. And based on what you've heard about joy, and the creativity and the flexibility and the self-awareness when that's turned on in our minds, um, what might a church look like that was filled with people who are operating from a place of high joy? What would your church look like? What would your business look like if it was operating with people that were fueled by joy, high levels of joy? Imagine that and give a couple of examples. you got two or three minutes to do that. Turn around the table, look at each other, smile, and let's hear what you have to say.
1: I was like, "You're wrapping up early." No. Yeah.
0: Good. Because I was like, I was like, "Oh, hi. you (laughs) guys are here." Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No, I was just thinking that. I was like, I don't know. Okay, you got one more minute. I know it's not enough time. One more minute. So who's ever talking, you get to finish. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You you get a snack. That's for you. Okay. Okay. As you uh, as you described and discussed what a high joy church would look like, as you described and discussed what a high joy church would look like, how many of you would say that would be a great church to be a part of? Do, do, let me ask this question. If... If, you, if there were disciples being made that had the capacity to live out what they're learning about the life of Jesus from a place of high joy, do, do you think that would be a church that was attractive to the world around them? Do you think if there were people in a church who were following Jesus... And even when they encountered suffering and pain and loss, they were able to honestly identify with all of that grief and yet still have a reservoir of joy that was present in their lives. Do you think that would be attractive? Do do you think that having a church that had people that were able to love each other joyfully even through disagreements and turmoil and conflict, would that be attractive? Yeah. Do, you, do you think that having a church that, that was a place for people who were absolutely depleted of all joy could come and be surrounded by people who just being in their presence would increase the level of joy in their life? Would that be attractive? I think so too. I think we may even get to rethink what evangelism means when we begin to live as joy-fueled disciples. Now, there's there's more to transformation than just joy. And so to help maybe uh, fuel your interest in some of the other things that come together when you start looking at the resources that um, we're recommending to you. What you're going to find is, is that there are four components to the kind of community that produces life change. Let me give them to you really quickly because it's, joy is a part of it, but it's not all of it. So what does it look like to have not just a person transformed, but a transformational community? Four components, one is joy. The second, we've talked about that. The second is hesed. Hesed is the Hebrew word for covenant love. When it's used in these terms, it's covenant love. We, we call it loving attachment, the glue that binds us together. It's a necessary component for transformed lives.
1: And I'll say, because uh, we're talking joy and hesed, um, You can experience joy in moments of deep sorrow and grief. Um, In deep sorrow, maybe no words, maybe crying with someone in the presence of the Lord. And there is that relational joy that we're talking about because you are with me. You are in it. You are committed to me. You won't leave me in this. Um, and so joy is not just about, hey, I'm happy to see you. It's we are committed and we are together. So I have joy in my heart, even though I'm sobbing my eyes out over what I just lost.
0: One of the challenges to being a Hesed community, uh, we're going to, here are a challenge we've experienced. As we've identified that not only joy is critical, but so is this loving attachment to one another. Here's a challenge we faced: is that you have to put people above performance. Which is great until they're getting a paycheck.
1: Or leading something significant that's really important to you or important to the church. Right, because
0: we have standards. We have standards. Obviously, we're not advocating for not having standards, but think about it. If the minute you get a paycheck, performance is more important than relationship, what's driving the culture of the people that have the most power and influence in your organization? So are you saying people should just be able to be lazy and still work at a church? And I know not everybody gets paid to be at a church, I understand that, but whatever, whatever those structures are, and you have to meet these standards in order to stay in proximity to the people in leadership. When you figure that out, will you let me know? <laughs> Maybe that's why Jesus didn't have employees. Just let, let that sit as we all reflect on the hopelessness of our endeavor. <laughs> Change all my religion. Accept that because we got to have that because if we don't have people getting paid to do ministry, people won't get saved, right? So we have to do that. I mean, once you get in the church, it's a higher standard, so you have to perform. Obviously, it's complex. It's complex. Um, and there's a difference when we talk about performance when it comes to character than to some of the job performance reviews that create our, our paradigm. But, but the point is this. To have loving attachments means the relationship is always bigger than the problem. And the person is always more important than their performance. Number two has said relationships. Second is group identity. This means we know what kind of people we are.
1: Third, third is group identity.
0: Uh, the second, second.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Joy has said group, group identity. Group identity.
0: What kind of people are we? Are instead of thinking in terms of just what's right and wrong, but who are we? Who are we? The problem with shaping group identity is you cannot just preach your way into group identity. It has to be lived and shared and transferred.
1: Which takes time.
0: And thirdly is healthy correction. Healthy correction means staying relational and addressing immature and sinful attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. We're not just saying, oh, just everybody's happy. We love each other. We're, we're, all, we're a relational church, which means we never confront hard things. No. Jesus confronted hard things. But when you are committed to death to the person across from you, then that makes space for healthy correction that says you are missing the boat. You're not acting like yourself. But I want you to know this, that I love you and I'm committed to you even when you're not. So how can we allow Jesus to come into this and, and help us see what he wants us to see about what's happening in you? that's causing you to not act like the person you know you are. That's a very different journey, isn't it? Then you're wrong, get your act together, or you're off the team. So what's one of the, what's one of the biggest challenges to healthy correction in the church is it oftentimes in the church correction only flows downhill so you can correct people below you but you can never the people that are above you can never be corrected unless it's from somebody above them and that's going to happen someplace off in a dark corner somewhere And how do we do that? Well, no, I don't think I'm advocating that anybody lines up on a Sunday morning and says, by the way, after service, before the potluck, I'll be in the corner, and anybody that has healthy correction for me... (laughs) Not so much! But how do we model? How do we model it? How vulnerable can we be as leaders? How do we... I mean, this is why we never call our platform a stage because a stage is a place for performance. A platform is a place of privilege to proclaim things that you hold to be true and important. So how do we steward the platform in a way that it's not my agenda that gets proclaimed, but it's his agenda, and when I'm on the agenda, I'm willing to be honest and vulnerable and transparent about that so what do we do about
1: this so what do we do How, where do we get started um and i just uh, we're going to run through a couple of practical places for us to start if if this is a journey that you're on or want to be on but i'll just say um uh, i know when we started this journey it was a little overwhelming we were reading the books we were talking to people who are experts we were asking a lot of questions and it got really overwhelming, I mean, and I think it took us a, a while to even feel like okay i 'm starting to get this i 'm starting to get this and then I remember one of the one of the people I think it may have been uh, Marcus who wrote one of the books, or he said, just just pick one thing and start with that and so we we picked one of the exercises you know that that gets talked about in one of the books and implemented it with our staff to just start bringing this and start breathing it to where it started to become something that we were understanding and then just pick one more thing instead of trying to okay now how do we change our whole church into a this kind of a church just start with one thing so what we would say the place to start to have a church a community that would have all four of those pieces um, that will lead to healthy discipleship and change start with joy and, and really, the first thing you have to do is to take an assessment of the joy level. First, in your own life. We can't give away what we don't have. How many times have we said that to a Bible study class or preached that to our churches or you know, taught that to somebody we're discipling? You, you can't give away what you don't have. It's actually true. If your joy levels are really low, you could teach this all you want, but it's more caught than taught. And so you've got to have it in you. And so you need to assess what are your joy levels and what is your capacity for relational joy? Are there some new tools that you need to add to your belt to grow your capacity so that you can begin to lead other people in this? If you want to, uh, in the notes there, uh, there's a link, lifemodelworks.org slash joy Okay, I couldn't see that. There is an assessment that will take you through and help you assess your own joy level. After that, you need to really think. By the way,
0: if you're a teaching, preaching pastor, don't take the test right after you preach the sermon you weren't happy with. We'll give you accurate results. Amen.
1: Amen. Um, Then you need to be asking, what about your team? How is your team's joy level and their ability to remain in that relational space with God, with each other, and then your church?
0: Because there's nothing worse than going to your leaders and saying, you know what, it's about time we got some joy in here. <laughs> and I, oh, I need you to put God. together some joy scriptures that we're going to memorize. And by the way, we better be singing songs about joy. Because doggone it, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's get joyful in this place. I have to fire somebody if you don't get more joyful. And uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but, but I had gotten to a place at the end of last year where I was so uh, empty, uh, just loss and death and betrayal and church fractures and everything that you've all experienced. I was, so, I was cooked physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we'd been doing this for two or three years, but I still hit a wall that I couldn't get past on my own. And I just want to put that out there because if, if you're at a place like that, we're not telling you just go back and try harder.
1: Just, just go read a book.
0: Go read a book. Go watch a YouTube video. Um, there does come a point where you need help. I did. I mean, I was so cooked. I was cooked, cooked. I was cooked. And it was, it was through my, the partnership of my gracious wife and getting help, thankfully, that I was able to access from Foursquare um, to go to what my friend and I um, dubiously called the Slipper Farm and uh, just a bunch of people walking around in slippers, you know, uh, to the, spiritual, the Center for Spiritual Renewal on the uh, East Coast. We have one on the West Coast as well. And I just, that was a transformational experience in addition to some some real breakthrough that Jesus was was able to bring me to. What was amazing to me is when that happened and some of the strongholds that had been present in my life deep down since I was a kid and didn't know, when those strongholds were torn down, um, all of this joy that I had been storing up in a reservoir that my heart couldn't access just flooded in and i i'm a different person i attest I, to that
1: yeah, i do no in God. in a really honest beautiful way
0: and i needed that spiritual encounter but but i also needed the fuel to have the resilience and the understanding and people to continue right. and so living from that space is i i, I just um I know you want that, and many of you are already there. But all of that to say, if you're stuck, you don't have to try to just buckle up and work harder and muscle through it. There's help for you. Okay, moving on. Uh,
1: The next thing, so honest assessment first, and then you need to learn to build your joy capacity. And a lot of the resources that we're talking about provide actual exercises. Um, practice. Um, tell that that layup. I don't know that. I, I, can't, I don't know basketball, so, so if I try to describe this uh, illustration, it's just going to go south. So go- t-
0: Telling somebody that, well, you just need more joy so you can stay relational is like telling me to go into the basketball game and only shoot left-handed when I'm right-handed. I could know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm still going to fail miserably. And so what we need is practice. I mean, we're actually talking about building neuropathways in your mind. It would be amazing if somewhere Jesus said the transformation was connected to your mind being renewed. (laughs) I mean, it really, really would have brought some credibility to all of this, don't you think? (laughs) Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's something, but and, and
1: science that? is proving that we can do that. We actually can renew our mind, change the neural pathways in our brain to become more whole and healthy. In this, and it's
0: so true. Things that would have triggered me and and triggered me, traumatized, made me want to kick somebody um, a year ago, I can honestly step into that same situation and instead of getting defensive, I think, "Huh, I wonder what God's doing here." I wonder what God's doing in them that I can't even fathom or understand. Lord, what do you want? What are you saying to me right now? I know what they're saying and it doesn't feel very good, but what are you saying to me right now? And it's not willpower I've been practicing. So, part of what we're saying is in these resources and we'll give you specific ones to start with. There's practice that you can do. And it's like going home and doing 10,000 layups with your left hand so that when the coach says, shoot with your left hand, now it's not just something that's completely unfamiliar, but your body goes, oh, I can make a left-handed layup. So practice is critical. Go ahead and just run through the last ones.
1: Okay. Uh, The next thing would be to begin the journey with a select group of people. I I wouldn't recommend just going back to your churches and trying to implement this church-wide. I say... Grab a smaller group of people and do it together and grow and learn. Um, Develop some language, uh, helpful language, language that everybody understands what we're talking about. Tell stories that celebrate joy-fueled discipleship. Identify and engage the people in your midst that exemplify mature relational skills and have high joy capacity. This may not be staff members, and it may not be people who are leading uh, ministries in your church. It could just be some of those moms and dads grandpas and grandpas in the faith who have high maturity in this relational joy capacity and and you need to get them into spaces where they where other people who are less mature in this can be around them to experience it and to see it and to learn it. Uh, and then the last thing create pathways for leaders to help them develop their own joy capacity. Uh, we've been doing this with our staff, just small things, things like in our weekly staff devotions, having people share their Jesus story and asking the rest of the team to listen and be listening to their story and listening to the Lord and asking the Lord for one word from him to to speak back to that person when they've heard that story. It's been beautiful, the things that God is doing in that uh, and then enjoy the journey, because <laughs> it is a journey for real.
0: Uh, there's a lot here. I hope that you're able to access those notes. If not, uh, let us know, and we'll we'll help get those to you. One of the last things that are in the notes, if you follow that link, is a place where you can sign up for a follow-up webinar. One of the first books we would recommend that you start with is called "The Other Half of Church." It's uh, Michael Hendricks, who was a staff pastor at a large church as a discipleship pastor. He's a well-educated, really, uh, really smart guy with a lot of experience. But what he found is, although he developed all of these strategies to help educate people, it stuck with some people, and with other people, it, they learned all the same things, but they were never changed. And through his relationship with Jim Wilder, who is a neuroscientist, who was in close partnership with Dallas Willard. So when you think spiritual formation, Dallas Willard and Jim Wilder really walked hand in hand in a lot of this. Um, Michael Hendricks uh, wrote the other half of church. It's his journey to understand it's, there's more to it than just teaching people more information. And Michael said he would love to do a follow-up webinar that dove a little bit deeper into some specific areas and answered questions. If that'd be something you are interested in, just follow that link. Give me your name and email address, and then we'll coordinate that with Michael. If we get twenty or twenty-five people, we we would love to do that. He said he would be happy to do that. So that'd be something fun we could do to follow up. And you would love uh, you would love Michael. He's uh, he's a real enjoyable guy to be around. The other book, if you say okay, I buy into that. There's more to this, but like, where do we start to get more practical? Uh, I would recommend the book. That's in that library that's called Rare Leadership, R A R E Leadership. It's teaching you how to be the kind of leader that remains relational, acts like yourself, returns to joy, and is able to endure hard things. Remains relate, wouldn't you like to be that kind of a leader? Remains relational, acts like yourself, returns to joy, and endures hard things. So it's a great book, very accessible, and the first third of it is a lot of the brain science, if you want to learn more about that, or you can skip it and get right into some of the more pragmatic stuff. So that's our workshop, Uh, it's 1247, Uh, we were short 15, but I would imagine you're probably hungry, (laughs) you're probably hungry, so we are going to hang out here for a little bit, and um, if you have burning questions, we'd love to give you some of our best responses, And uh, we pray God blesses you and may his face shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. God bless you.